I'm your host, Meredith Campbell, Research and Content Development at ThinkLab. And today I'm excited to introduce a new voice to the show. Meet my co-host, Jessica Jenkins. You'll be hearing from both me and Jessica in the future as we bring you more frequent episodes of The Learning Objective in 2023. Hey everyone, I'm Jessica, and I'm excited to join Meredith along with our amazing lineup of topics and guests for future episodes. In today's episode, we're gonna look at the future of construction. And while many listening today fall into the much earlier phases during the design and development of a project, the concept of industrialized construction has major implications for all members of the A&D ecosystem to explore, whether you're an architect, a designer, or a manufacturer. To help us understand what industrialized construction is and what it means for the future of design, we invited two experts in the field to help demystify it for us. In part one, Dr. Daniel Hall will make the case with research for fundamental mindset shifts A&D need to consider to harness the benefits of industrialized construction. And then in part two, we'll hear from the queen of prefab herself, Amy Marks, on how industrialized construction holds the key to more sustainable construction and makes room in your day for more bespoke design to flourish. But first, here's Elias Fossey from DIRT with the learning objectives. After listening to today's episode, you'll be able to first, summarize what industrialized construction encompasses. Second, contrast how industrialized construction differs from conventional construction. Third, analyze how industrialized construction changes the traditional design process. Fourth, examine how industrialized construction enables new product and process innovation. I'm Daniel Hall, and I'm an assistant professor at the Technical University of Delft in the Netherlands. I'm originally from the US. I grew up in California, did my bachelor's at Cal Poly San Luis Obispo, then worked in San Francisco Bay Area, and then eventually did my PhD at Stanford University with a focus on construction innovation and construction informatics also in my research career. First, let's start with a definition of industrialized construction, as it's not quite as easy to define as you might think, and it encompasses multiple things. It's kind of a new term. We used to use like prefabrication and offsite, and now you're seeing a lot of people talk about industrialized construction. And so I get a lot of questions is, is it the same thing? Is it different? And there are different perspectives, but I think it's helpful to think about industrialized construction as a holistic system and a holistic approach to the industrialization of the construction industry. And prefabrication is one component of that industrialized construction approach. But prefabrication and industrialized construction are not the same. Industrialized construction also includes an approach to, for example, supply chain and logistics, and that needs to be connected to the product design. It also might include the customer focus and how do we think about what the customer wants. We also think about uh, what is our level of digitalization and digital tools, and all of those holistically come together and create this view of industrialized construction. So you can have an industrialized construction approach that actually doesn't use any prefabrication. For example, I would put 3D printing as an industrialized construction approach uh, and the fabrication is occurring on-site. You're not prefabricating. So to me, that's, that's kind of the way that we think about it. Another clarification on industrialized construction is that it doesn't necessarily equal digitization. There are examples of really strong industrialized construction with very low levels of digitalization. 
in fact, some of the examples from Sweden, we see a very successful companies were actually quite slow in adopting digital technologies. Um, by contrast, in the U.S., we see a, a very strong set of um, digital competencies, I'd say, compared to other places in the globe. You have a lot of companies that are, are quite proficient either in automated design software, Grasshopper Rhino, or we, we see a lot of great examples with Revit and Dynamo of this kind of digitalization approach for BIM and documentation or whatever it might be. Those are all super valuable and, and helpful, but it's a mistake to think that if you're really good at doing BIM, you're going to be really good at industrialized construction. They are not equivalent. And as Daniel looks into the future and the role of designers specifically in the future of industrialized construction, the opportunities abound. I think there's a really big opportunity for improving the design side of industrialized construction. There's a perception that it's really, yeah, we don't want to just make boxes. We don't want to just build modules, stacking soft modules. This is not very architecturally interesting or challenging. But I see a very different future ahead of us. I see a future with, you know, we've already seen this move towards more flexibility and kit of parts and mass customization. We're starting to see industrial designers and other types of product designers be interested in entering into this space. And as we start going into even more flexible manufacturing systems in Industry 4.0, there's going to be a lot of opportunity, but we're going to need some really good designers that can speak the language of industrialization. So for those that are in the audience that, that are you know, coming maybe from a more traditional architectural design perspective, keep an eye out on the developments. Think about how maybe also there will be opportunities to, to connect the two sides. And for myself, I, I say the same. So I come from a civil engineering background. I've just moved into a new department where I'm in the faculty of architecture. So I'm learning how now to, to better speak the, the language of, of architecture with industrialized construction. And I see a tremendous opportunity here. Now it's just about the time to come together and speak the same language. Now, if we think about industrialized construction in contrast to conventional construction, it also changes how we approach projects in the planning phase but we must embrace three mindset shifts to the traditional process. First, in industrialized construction, we start to think about the building interiors as a product rather than a project. In the AEC, architecture, engineering, and construction community, we're often used to, to thinking about projects and we, we organize everything around the project. But what we're seeing now with the emergence of industrialized construction is much more of a platform-based approach or building as a product. And that opens up a lot of different thinking that might be unfamiliar for those of us that come from this project-based world in, in the architecture space or the construction space. There's a reframing of the way we think about the business models and the way we think about the product approach in industrialized construction. It's different than prefabrication also, where you could say, on this project, I'm going to prefabricate. But that's not the same as kind of this holistic shift in mindset that I see with industrialized construction. A second shift in mindset between the conventional design process and one that utilizes industrialized construction you're moving knowledge of fabrication much earlier in the design process. So now you need to make decisions in design to make sure that your future things can be fabricated correctly. So it becomes really important to get that knowledge and the kind of restraints and constraints of your manufacturing technologies into your design space. So you make sure you're not designing something that the machine can't build. And so then Digitalization and, and digital tools offer us an opportunity to do that, to kind of translate between the manufacturing floor and the design space. But you have to be very diligent about going to and speaking with those the machines, the fabricators, you know, the CNC experts. And this brings us to our third mindset shift, moving from a blank piece of paper approach at the start of every project. 
it, it is a, a challenging mindset shift. In many ways, in, in AEC, in architecture, engineering, construction, we take for granted that everything is organized around projects. It, it's the way we've done it for so long. We just take for granted that we are going to start from scratch with this blue sky, blank sheet of paper. And we're going to put together not just the design, but you're going to put together a supply chain. You're going to put together your, your designers, your engineers. You're going to pick out your contractors who are going to pick out their subcontractors who are going to pick out their suppliers. And you're going to build an entire supply chain and an entire you know, project ecosystem from scratch. And then everyone's going to finish and they're going to all go and build the next ecosystem from scratch. And what we're saying from industrialized construction is what if instead of building it from scratch each time, we try to create supply chain continuity and we try to create this approach where we don't do it from scratch, but we can start to learn and embed it back into the system. And the way, the word that we use to describe that is that we create a product platform. I like to use the example of an iPhone. An iPhone is a product that has versions and you know, it's on version 14, 15. I can't remember what version we're on. And each time the iPhone looks mostly the same, but it's slightly improved. They've increased the size of the screen or they've improved the processor. And this is an opportunity where you can create a product platform. You create kind of the core rules around your product, and then you try to improve over time. And so you build a supply chain to help you build your product. And then from that product platform, you search for projects. So you still have projects, but you try to avoid reconfiguring and creating a whole new ecosystem for each project. You have that ecosystem. You just look for that project. You say, okay, from our version one of our product platform, we're going to build project A. And now project A goes really well, but there's a few things that need to be improved. Okay, so let's take those learnings and let's now create our version two of our product platform and let's go build projects B and C. And that way you have this feedback loop that goes into the product platform and helps you improve. And so you don't just lose all this knowledge when that really smart person that helped that project be a success goes and takes a new job. You know, where is that knowledge going? It goes with that person, but you start to put it into each version of the product platform. You document your reasons. You have this cycle of continuous improvement. And a lot of the inefficiencies can slowly be pulled out of the system. We've talked quite a bit about the design and construction processes, but another key advantage that industrialized construction promises is the opportunity for true product and process innovation. You know, are we going for a systems level innovation or are we going for incremental innovations? And I, I love the idea that, that someone can create a, a drywall hanging robot that looks just like a human. That's great. It's a really great technical achievement. But to me, it also represents a failure to reimagine, you know, do we, do we really want robots that are hanging drywall or do we want a better product? And then we can use a robot, design a robot for a better product. And I think industrialized construction offers a great opportunity for this new product development because we are now focusing on kind of continuous repetition of the supply chain. And you can start to co-create with the supply chain. If you look at the car industry, and I, I'm very careful about describing industrialized construction as the car manufacturing, because I think it's, a, it's an, an analogy that can be overdone. But th this is one example that I think does make sense, is how Toyota co-creates with its supply chain partners. They have long-term contracts where they together work towards the, the continual improvement of different components in, in their systems. They did this very successfully in the 1990s and the early 2000s. But in traditional construction with project deliveries, you work with a supplier one time and maybe you learn that things could be improved, but then you don't ever work with them again. So, so you never get this co-creation, this long supply chain partnership. So to me, this is a really great opportunity for a new product development that can come together when you co-create and come up with new systems. For example, you could start experimenting with kind of a hybrid concrete timber systems, for example, and work between suppliers to do that. 
I also think it opens up a lot of opportunities for green materials that could be productized or put together in a nice way that would work very well um, in an industrialized system, but maybe are not so durable where you want an on-site application at this point in time. So I think also there's a lot of opportunities. We say that there's a lot of opportunities for synergies in manufacturing that, that could happen through industrialized construction. So to me, that's really a, a big opportunity and one that we start to see a lot of startups in the industrialized construction space looking at new types of products that could be implemented in their systems. Another potential future that Daniel sees for industrialized construction is as the enabler of circular design to thrive in the built environment. I think this is really one of the, the big opportunities we have moving forward. It depends on your view of what circular economy is. If you think about circular economy from the perspective that it's just about kind of reusing materials in a project, you know, from a past project or something like that, and try to get us the highest level of recycling or reuse materials, then you could do that on a project by project basis. Maybe you don't need industrialized construction. But if you think of circular economy as a new business model and a new supply chain approach in itself, we start talking about product as a service models. We start talking about the reuse and design for disassembly process. Then you start talking about you know, really boring things like logistics and supply chain and, and ecosystems, which are not so, not so exciting, but that's really at the core of what I think circular economy really is. And so you need an approach that is aligned with that. And I think a project-based organizing approach is not aligned with the idea of a lot of the principles of circular economy. Because again, you're doing things on a case-by-case basis and there's a loss of responsibility because once the project's done, you kind of say, okay, I'm not responsible for that anymore. To me, if you look at an industrialized construction approach, you could start to look at product platforms. You could start to look at the idea that a company might be interested in reusing the, the chassis of a building You know, 25 years later. You start looking at the idea that... Um, you can have product as a service for industrialized systems, building systems. I think, you know, for example, dirt is a really good example of such a system where you can, you can start designing the system to be reused. Another company called Connextech in California has been also certified cradle to cradle. They use an, a bolted connection system for their steel beams. We have a lot of great examples of how circular economy can fit with an industrialized approach. So to me, it's a really great opportunity. We're starting to see some startups and new companies explore the, this, this connection. We also have a lot of research on our side about how industrialized construction companies have a ton of information that could fit into a material passport, which can then be carried with the building products and, and kind of kept for the life cycle of the building. But we need to start making that more today's practice, and we're not there yet. So lots of opportunity. Lots of research on my side, and I think for practitioners, a lot of things to think about, about it. can we rethink about supply chains from an industrialized construction and a product platform standpoint. My name is Amy Marks. I am the Vice President of Industrialized Construction here at Autodesk. And I came actually out of the environment of industry into the tech world a couple of years ago. Um, brought over by Autodesk. So I work with our largest customers in the world, even some of our middle-sized ones on their strategy to enable the convergence of industries and data, really getting our customers platform ready. We wanted Amy's take on her vision for the future of industrialized construction. I mean, I would say, and I don't think anybody would argue with me, that traditional construction is somewhat plagued by assumption-based design where there's a disconnection between the designers and the makers and also the integrators of those made pieces and parts. 
as well as potentially even the owners and end users that want the end use of the building to do certain things. So, you know, we sort of have did static data that is not connected in, tra in traditional construction. I'm not saying this is very different at the moment in industrialized, but the vision for industrialized is that that comes together and is more connected the way in which it works in manufacturing, where we have things like the manufacturers actually informing the design. So we're not making assumption-based design. And so that we can actually make things not in places that are cold and dirty and wet and where people are working in, you know, in conditions that are not exactly the best. So I would say the hope and vision for industrialized construction and some of the ways in which it's being executed now is that the data is more connected by informing design by what things can be made and then actually making them in a more efficient way for better business and sustainability outcomes. Why is the industry at a critical point for change? Or as Amy says, the future is productized. We all want amazing optimizations. We all want to use things like generative design and industrialized construction and, you know, really amazing uh, digital twins, different types of digital twins, because we're all looking, I think, for circularity, you know, not just, you know, the typical things you think about for sustainability, but industry sustainability, economic sustainability and social sustainability. The way in which we get there, unfortunately, can't be like making something the first time every time. So if you think about it, if you want to really achieve those things, that would be like saying every sneaker that Nike builds is custom. And somehow we're going to expect that there's a line of sneakers that's affordable to all different types of people and that you could spend a lot of money on sneakers or you could spend a little bit amount on sneakers, but still get Nike. And I think you used that in a story once where we were talking about, yeah, but you can get Nikes by you, that whole like, you know, campaign they have where you can get on the website or even Converse these days. My, my daughter has custom Converse. But somebody had to productize the colors, the laces, the eyelets, the different types that you can get in order for the infinite number of combinations that you could get when you actually use something like, you know, generative design to come up with any sneaker you can make from that, you know, those millions of combinations once you put them together. The problem is we're making a lot of snowflakes all the time in, in traditional construction. So they're unique every single time. And it's like, that's why it's costly. That's why we have to have all this coordination up front because we haven't productized both the physical piece parts and the digital workflows to enable that combination of exponential choices that you could have. If not just the physical piece part was standardizing, but also that it, it had rules to it, that you could actually customize it based on the maker's requirements. So I didn't say you could only have, you know, two foot laces, you could have two foot foot one inch laces, but you know, I know that the machine can still make two foot one inch laces. So it's, we can truly have both physical products that can be customizable, but still makeable. And then productizing of the process development and, and the workflows in order to get the end result that I really want. So it's not just about everybody should use the same wall type. That's not what we mean by productized. And I think if you think about anything we do in our normal lives, you know, we get lots of amazing outcomes around this planet with a lot of things that are productized that we don't make it from scratch every single day. If you think about the process of making a car, for instance, when Henry Ford revolutionized the automobile making industry, he essentially took something that was completely bespoke or made by hand and moved it to a factory. He famously said, if I had asked people what they wanted, they would have said a faster horse. 
In the same way, industrialized construction is often viewed as the opposite of bespoke, but Amy encourages us to think about this differently. I think the part that people get very confused about in our space, in the construction and design space, is they think you're making the reference of the car as the building, right? So they're like, a building is much more complicated than a car. Like, and I would say, yes, but a car is not much more complicated than an air handling unit. Like that is part of that building. So I'm not saying like the building, and by the way, buildings can be products as well, but I think of it more like Russian dolls where it's a combination of things that have been productized and, you know, that can be combined with things that are bespoke. But again, hopefully, depending on how your budget works and what you're able to do and where you want to put your money and your effort and time, like I say all the time in hospitals, there's a lot of things that could be productized behind the walls, above the ceilings, underground, but would enable operational consistency and cost consistency and schedule consistency. But you may want to spend extra time doing something bespoke in the lobby or the portico or in some place. Like not everything is the car. And I think it's a, it's a strange example because that's the first reaction most people have about it. But it's like you have to think of the building as like thousands of those cars that actually that one car. If you look at something like Volkswagen, they make 40 different cars off of one chassis and they don't touch, you know, the 60 percent of the MEP that's inside of the engine there. But anything else is you know customizable within a certain we don't think of it as. There could be thousands of those quote unquote cars inside of a building with those rules and constraints, just like that chassis. So I think we have to expand our thinking a little bit. By the way, I'm not saying you should never have bespoke things. I think actually as an architect, the more things that are productized with the understanding of how you can adjust them quickly using your own tools, it frees you up and enables you to spend a lot more time on the part that's bespoke and artistic and one of a kind that right now you don't really have the time to do. I always make the joke because you're drawing fire stairs. Like no architect I know loves to draw fire stairs. But, you know, if fire stairs were productized and you were just toggling them to the, the makeability and strengths and rules, you'd have plenty of time to make the really beautiful stairs in the center hall of, you know, wherever you were talking about. What are some of the next steps that have to happen in our industry for industrialized construction to become a reality and widely adopted? I always like to go back to Dan Miller's formula for change. Change is really a formula. At first, you have to have dissatisfaction. That is the first critical element of change. People have to be unhappy with what they're doing today. And I don't mean they have to be frustrated that they're not making enough money, although many are, or that there's infinite downside, or that they don't have skilled labor. They could also be unhappy that they can see a possibility that they can't get to, that they can't reach, that they can see is out there, but they're not quite sure how to become that. That's also a form of dissatisfaction. Like when I had my BlackBerry and I didn't know an iPhone existed because it didn't, or I Palm Pilot, I was very happy with that because an iPhone didn't exist. If you know an iPhone exists, I would not be happy with my Palm Pilot. So it's like, it's not necessarily like I hate my, you know, everyday life that I go through or my work. You have to think what's possible and what's been out there that you can see. Because the next part of the formula is that you have to actually have a vision for what's possible, right? Like you can't just be unhappy. You have to see that something else is out there that could be better or different that might change the way in which you work. And then after that, you have to understand what are the first concrete steps of action that need to be taken by myself, my company, by the industry in order to, to really overcome resistance, which is those three things, you know, dissatisfaction, vision, and the first concrete steps have to be greater than resistance. The resistance you're going to have internally at your company when all of a sudden you start pulling things apart and externally when you're going to be working a different way 
that potentially not everybody is used to working yet. Amy also suggests that transformation may require new tools in your toolkit. In the framework of transformation, foundationally, are you set up for that new future state? Like you may want, I always say, look, I want to be an oncologist, but if I'm a dentist, I'm probably going to have to take some additional training, right? Like I'm going to have to do something. I'm going to have to get different tools. I'm going to have to have different skills. I'm going to have to have different technology. I'm going to have different education. So you have to understand and assess your foundational skills, tools, and technology, and also the, the drive that you have from a budget. And I say the short versus the long game perspective. I think after that, that's where productization comes in. What do you have at your company right now that you can figure out how to productize both physically and digitally so that you can start judging yourself on things you don't have to keep doing for the first time? And by the way, a lot of times when I talk to people that love sports, I'll say, you know, what is a record in sports if every record had an asterisk next to it? it? It really is not an indicator of performance. Once you start defining things, productizing them and measuring things, you can start getting better at certain things so that you can digitize them and automate them so that you can optimize them by removing steps and using other types of technology integrations so that you can share them across a platform with other people and stakeholders and then get to some form of circularity and resiliency for your business and for the world. So what concrete next steps does Amy recommend for the architecture and design community specifically? So designers are, of all the personas that are emerging in these new business models of convergence, they're sort of the ones that are most data dependent, right? They're not the makers. They're not the end users. They're not the contractors that are figuring out how to assemble and integrate. They are trying to translate the needs of the end users and owners or program managers and match those with the capabilities and the availability of materials and you know manufactured assemblies that are out there in the world today in order to make sure that it's designed and processed correctly so that the end user actually gets what they want at the end, right? So I would say there's some parts of that that will be easier. And one of the reasons I came to Autodesk is I truly believe it's our role to connect this ecosystem of multiple industries so that no longer do you have to rely on assumption-based design, but hopefully one day you can rely on accurate, real-time data for real things that you can only adjust within the manufacturability or the availability of those supply chain parts. So putting that aside, hoping that in parallel happens, I think designers have to think about what they're doing today and make sure that their systems, you know, their common data environment, their workflows are actually understood and defined and that they're productizing those workflows so that they're repetitive and re they can repeat them and improve them. Of all of the potential benefits that industrialized construction offers, we wanted to know, what is Amy the most excited about? This is going to sound kind of corny, but I think productization saves the planet from the waste in our landfills. That gets me the most excited. If you can connect productization and rearrange organized structure of the way in which we design by putting make in front of design. Think about all the waste that gets in our landfills. I mean, 40% of what's in our landfills is construction waste. If you knew you were designing something that could actually be made with the least amount of waste and that you could combine those things with other things, that you could use generative design to pick the right combination of things so that there wasn't a million dumpsters outside these job sites, I would say that gets me the most excited. Here's Elias to close out the episode and share instructions on how you can obtain credit for listening. 
three things from the episode that really stood out to me. First, industrialized construction requires a mindset shift in how we think of the built environment, looking at it as more of a product than a project. Second, with industrialized construction, designers and manufacturers collaborate much more closely earlier in the design process. That's what they mean by design for manufacturing. Third, moving to a productized approach doesn't limit creativity, rather it provides helpful constraints that enable creativity to thrive, like that custom sticker example Amy gave. Dirt is a global leader in industrialized construction. Its system of physical products and digital tools empowers organizations, together with construction and design leaders, to build high-performing, adaptable interior environments. Not just built for today, building for tomorrow. To obtain credit for listening, simply visit the show notes of this episode and click the link to take a short quiz. That's it. Thanks for listening and learning with us today. The Learning Objective is a Surround Podcast Network original production. Check out more shows from Surround at surroundpodcasts.com. This episode of The Learning Objective was produced and edited by Sandow Design Group. Special thanks to the podcast production team, Hannah Vitti, Wise Grisette, and Samantha Sager. 